0: Have you ever wondered to yourself if you should leave or quit something? Maybe you want to leave your job, or quit your degree, or do you even want to leave your own home? The thing is, we all leave things, often not knowing if it was the right decision or not. This podcast talks to people who have made the decision to leave, and each of them have their own unique story, both challenges and triumphs. Some left to try different things, others even return to where they originally left from. My name is Braden Green. And I left university to pursue my radio and podcasting dream. And this is Leavers. If you watch 7 News in South Australia, or if you're a hardcore fan of the Sydney Swans, or maybe you're just a fan of the Central Districts in the Sandville, you probably know the name Andrew Hayes. Andrew Hayes won multiple premierships with the Central Districts in the SANFL after being delisted by Sydney. But what did he leave? Well, he left Sydney to come to SA to continue a football dream. But would this decision change his life? More than you could possibly know. Find out in this episode how Andrew came to this decision, why he did it, and everything that came with it. What were the results? What was Adelaide like? Getting your mindset to go from a big Apple City, which is Sydney, to a small country-like town, which is Adelaide. It's an amazing journey and one that you'll really enjoy, and I can't wait for you to listen to this episode of The Leavers Podcast. Welcome to another episode of The Leavers Podcast, and it is an honor to be joined by Andrew Hayes. Thanks for joining, mate. It's a real honor to have you, as I said.
1: Mate, thanks for uh, having me on board. Uh, Love your work and doing a very good job, and good to have a chat. Good to catch
0: up. Thank you very much, mate. So today we're at the SEN studios. Real big thank you to the SENSA. It's a pleasure to use these studios and something. A bit of a step up from what we usually are, but... Let's start where we always start, mate. Why did you decide to leave Sydney and come to little old Adelaide? Uh, so Sydney, it was 2000,
1: end of 2006. And mate, I was playing footy up there. So I'm from New South Wales yeah. originally, uh, from country New South Wales, but went to boarding school in Sydney. Um, so obviously everything was uh, nice and comfortable up there and I'm very much a New South Wales person. Can comfortably say now that I've been completely transitioned into a, <laughs> a genuine South Australian. But at the end of two thousand six, so I had two years playing um, with the Sydney Swans. Yep. Um, on the rookie list, and got bad news.
0: Yeah. Well, you, well that was the thing I'm going to be. With. Yeah. We'll eventually get into it as hard. I mean, for people that don't know, of course, he was rookie draft pick number sixty three. I mean, of course, an amazing way to get into the AFL system. Of course, and you know, and experiencing that. But I guess, so how did this decision come about, Adelaide? Is it just continuing a football career? Is it a complete change of lifestyle? What is it, mate? Mate, it's, it's the f- first option, absolutely.
1: So it is, I mean, the sample is, it still is regarded as the second best competition in Australia. So at that stage, I was still chasing this football dream and spoken to a couple of clubs, a couple of clubs in the VFL in Melbourne and three sample clubs and there was a bloke by the name of peter jonas yep. who was the central district's first premiership coach back in 2000 who was at the swans at the time who said look there's only one place for you to go you've got to go to south australia you've got to go to the dogs that's your best opportunity to get back into the afl really um i just in terms of development and and trying to uh basically get yourself in a spot where you could try and get back into the system so and a, a lot of guys go through that same sort of uh i suppose drive and and dream where you have to go interstate to try and uh, get something that you want. And I think he spoke to Benny Harron. He was probably somewhat in the same boat when he came over. He was at the Swans as well. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so that was, I mean, the goal was to come down here. Short goal was to come down here, year or two, get back into the AFL system and go from there. And either way, I was only going to be in South Australia for one or two years and then go back to Sydney. And it's been, what, 14 or 15 years?
0: (laughs) And I'm not going anywhere. Well, there's just so much to delve into. I mean, the dogs of all things, you know, coming to Adelaide. So let, we'll we'll break it down, I guess. We'll, we'll stick on the Adelaide part first. Did you know anything about Adelaide before coming here? Because let's admit, this is a football mad state. Yes, yes, it is. Oh, I knew absolutely nothing about Adelaide. <laughs> um, I could have told
1: you who the Crows were and obviously probably Port Adelaide as well. But that is absolutely it. So there's so many people in Sydney, and I was one of them, who look down at Adelaide, almost just, it's this arrogant sort of mentality over South Australia. Oh, I know who would want to go to Adelaide. And then we've seen the new bloody premier, what's his name? Dom Perrottet, whatever his name is, <laughs> give Adelaide some stick as well. Until you actually get here and you experience it and you realize that it is actually really cool. And at the time, it's just when you're comparing real estate to real estate, it's just absolutely <laughs> ridiculous in terms of standards of living. But yeah, i I turned up here i couldn't even locate it on the map to be honest and my first Seriously? sort of experience was <laughs> driving down the street and i'm what was i what was i doing i'm i'm i've got a newspaper yeah i don't know why but i was trying to get something and i'm at traffic lights and i'm <laughs> right. the newspaper it's gone green and it's gone back red and i've looked behind me and I've and there's two people waiting and I'm not at one stage and anyone get on the horn or anything like that. So these guys are just a little bit different down in South <laughs> In a really good way because if you did something like that in Sydney, I reckon someone would get out and bludgeon and you. Belt you in the face. But knew absolutely nothing, but it only took sort of one or two years just to fall in love with the place because I'm originally from Wagwagga, Wagga, yeah. which is uh um, southern, southwest New South Wales. And that is, I mean, it's regarded as a city, but it's a big country town. And Adelaide's a bigger version of Wagga. Like it is, it's not a Melbourne, it's not a city in terms of the hustle and bustle. It is that place where... You know, I wouldn't try it, but you could sort of drop your wallet and expect someone to hand it back in. Yeah. It's not happening in Sydney.
0: <laughs> they're taking it, taking they're, all the money that they they're can taking, they're just taking to the, pay the rent. The five bucks that's in there. It's gone forever. <laughs> so w- were you nervous at all? I know it's probably a simple question, but were you nervous? Completely new city, completely different lifestyle, new club, new everything.
1: Uh It's funny, man. I, I probably wasn't as nervous as I would have been if I was someone else coming straight out of home. I went to boarding school at the age of, 13 and that was that was rough the the transition from um you know waking up in your own bed and um went to a school primary school there was 15 kids i was the only one in my year little country town just near Wagga, um to sydney big bright lights hundreds of kids in my year dormitories and stuff like that and loved boarding school but just i still remember I still remember the first sort of couple of days when you wake up and go, "Oh, I'm not, I'm not home. I'm, actually, I'm still here." So I, I don't know if that—I wouldn't call it desensitised, but that was probably the prepared most, you, yeah, absolutely prepared. So coming down here, I, I genuinely saw it as an adventure, and, and on top of that as well, in my head, I was still saying, oh, "I'm going to be here for a year, maybe two, and then get back to Sydney, get back to all my friends." But then on top of that as well, the beauty of uh, coming down here for uh, effectively footy is that you go straight into a footy club environment where you instantly make friends. And I imagine if someone was going interstate for work, it could be different because works work, and you know a lot of jobs you're not there to make friends. Versus football, you were immediately accepted into a into a group, and you settle straight away. So the transition, I mean, it probably took the first couple of days were just strange because it's it's different, and we still it took about a week or two before we finally got into the place where we were staying properly. So sort of going from a couple of different blokes' houses before they finally set us up properly, but pretty smooth as a whole.
0: Who were you living with originally like how did that
1: all come about because obviously you've got to come over here to find different yeah. places well so that's all taken care of by the club so it was uh, i was living with a bloke who by the name of chad o'sullivan so he was in the same sort of um, position came over from melbourne and we were living together in on galway avenue which is
0: oh yeah I know the place oh, right near
1: the abc yes. Building, yes 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 can't remember the exact suburb but um so that was yeah that was fine because we were basically the same exactly in the same position so um but that's the other beauty of footy club they all take care of all that stuff exactly so you just sort of turn up put your bags down and start thinking about getting back in the afl and when
0: it doesn't happen you reassess <laughs> <laughs> before we get into that what was the biggest thing you had to adjust to over here in adelaide biggest thing to read just to probably
1: just the lifestyle of adelaide in a in a good way yeah do you know, i know really what you mean yeah me for six the first couple of times i couldn't get mad around it was supermarkets at the time it's probably changed <laughs> supermarkets were like 11 to 5 on weekends and like seven to whatever it is seven to seven when i reckon i first came over whereas where i was living in in um sydney it was like on weekends it was open to 11 o'clock and then all the other supermarkets were like 24 hours it was just the, the sleepy nature of adelaide that you yeah. had to adjust to um but it's pretty easy to adjust to. It's just a it's just a lovely town full of lovely people. So I would imagine that going if you lived your whole life in Adelaide and you went to Sydney, that would be a much bigger adjustment. A much bigger adjustment just because of just how quick it is, just how frantic it is and just how everybody has this oh, a lot of people have this attitude of, you know, get the hell out of my way, I'm doing this versus this big country town mentality. So yeah, taking a step, I suppose, down was an adjustment, but a an easy adjustment to make.
0: Nice. So talk to me about that football dream at this point, because you're going. We're going from Sydney, not madly in love with football. I mean, let's admit the Swans were pretty popular at that stage with the success they had become. Obviously, the yep. grand finals against West Coast, and now you're coming to football mad state. What's the mindset? It's just like I'm. Oh, this is going to be amazing. It's just like football. You know, nuts. What, what's it like? Uh, it's
1: it's yeah, it's crazy in, in a good way because from Sydney, and I, I grew up. And start playing uh, Australian rules football. Until I was about six, fifteen, or sixteen, which is we- quite old when you think about. It. A lot of the juniors start these days, like under ten. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Which is the traditional pathway. But I, the school I went to was just rugby union mad, and yeah. obviously in Sydney, it's rugby league uh, mad as well. But so to go from that, and I still love rugby versus going down to a place and the, the Swans. I'm not sure what it's like now, but the Swans lucky to get any sort of coverage in the paper. I mean it sort of changed around that time when two thousand five when they won the flag. But I mean, if had they been down the bottom for a couple of years, who knows what it would have been like. Like they just they don't exist unless they're doing well. I'm not sure what sort of coverage GWS get right now, but coming down here where it's just it's just ridiculous. It's, it's everywhere where some of these sample clubs, centrals were going so well was, I mean, the dogs would get much more coverage in the media than the swans will be getting at the same which time which is it, crazy to think about it's just ridiculous so you can imagine what it's like for for the crows and, and for port adelaide it's just a different level but um nice because you know that's that's the game that we're playing and it's you just get soaked
0: into it as well so you, you think it's a good thing because there's usually two mindsets that i see from this either players absolutely love it and they just thrive in it or there's ones that hate it and they're out of this state incredibly quickly so
1: you think it's a good thing. Yeah, it depends. It depends. Yeah, there's there's definitely two different types of player. There's a player that that actually thrives on it and enjoys it and and likes the spotlight. And then there is the players where absolutely the way they go about it, um, a place like GWS or Sydney suits them. Yeah, where they can walk down the street and people don't recognise them. I mean, Buddy Franklin is the exception. It doesn't matter where <laughs> he goes, he's going to be. But that's what they joke about: is that um, you know everyone will notice who who Buddy is, and then all these other absolute stars like Luke Parker could walk down the street and completely go unrecognised. Josh Kennedy, these sort of guys, versus if they were in Melbourne, they just everyone would absolutely recognise them. I remember back in the day when I when I was there, it was Adam Goods and Barry Hall would get recognised, um, as you would expect, and, and and Mickey O'Loughlin, yeah, but everyone else. Would just go under the radar, and then when you when you break it down, and some of the careers that these guys were chalking out was just ridiculous. Like a, a Ryan O'Keefe yeah, could go great through. career, <laughs> unbelievable career, but he could walk down the street or could go to some of these places and and not get recognised. And I remember there was one sort of time where we where we went to oh, it was I think it's called Hugo's or whatever it is in the in uh, Kings Cross, yeah, and there was a Swans player there who couldn't get in. He couldn't <laughs> <What>? <laughs> he couldn't get into this nightclub and purely because the bands were saying, listen, champ, uh, unless you've got some girls with you, you're not coming in. And this was a a bloke who'd played in a premiership. He's played over 200 AFL games begging to try and come into this club. And you're like, this, this is just ridiculous. And imagine a 200-plus game, a premiership player in Melbourne, um, asking if he could come into a club. They'd usher him in with drink cards and all sorts of things. So it was just a different environment. Um, and look at some of the players down here who, who it suits versus maybe it doesn't. Like maybe, I, th- I think a guys like Travis Polk. Yeah, and Travis Polk is just so perfect with with the media and for the media, and he embraces it, uses it to his advantage, and just it absolutely works for him. Yeah. So he, um, you know, he does. He has media deals and things like that, which is fantastic because we get to see more of him. So he's someone who absolutely likes this sort of environment, and then there's 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 other guys who you don't sort of see off because they choose not to because they don't like the spotlight. So it's it is a mix, and I've no doubt that when some of these guys come down here, that, that that's what they'd be telling. Oh, by the way, you know, we um if you're coming from a different club, yeah, just get ready. It's a little bit different down here. Jackson Hately was a really good example. He a uh, good Central Districts boy, and he spent a couple of years up at GWS, and then and just obviously. Played a handful of games up there. Didn't have to do any media or anything. Absolutely, just goes under the radar. And then the pressure that he's now here. But then, as soon as he gets there, and this is the story which which he'll tell tells well, as soon as he actually genuinely arrives uh, to move back to South Australia, there's there's media waiting at the airport, waiting at the airport to uh to hit him up to do an interview. So, uh, just little readjustments like that. But but you're right. It is chalk and cheese and. Um, if they want to go completely undetected, they i mean—they can from a media sense, but when there's so many mad crows and port supporters, it's pretty hard for high profile players
0: to go anywhere without being noticed. Yeah, it almost feels like sometimes they don't have a choice, especially depending on the story. I mean, we've heard about the crows camp mm. Mm, almost near every day it was at that point, yeah. I think. So it definitely has its ups and downs. Um, so of course we should talk about your sample career. I mean, it's a huge achievement playing in four premierships, mate, and I hope you're proud of that. But I guess it is the question, are you proud of that? Yeah, I am, mate.
1: I absolutely I am. It was just a ridiculous side at the time. Um crazy I mean, at least stacked side. Crazy. Just, yeah. Like just I mean, there's two blokes, Chris and James Gowns, who played nine. Just unbelievable. Matt Slade got to play in eight. Yeah, very yeah, fortunate that I got to play in four of them. But the only thing I do sort of regret is that I I had this mindset where I was so stupidly focused on trying to get a crack at getting back into the AFL that I didn't, I know that I didn't appreciate as much as I, I could have because those moments where it was fun and we did celebrate really hard, but. I'm thinking about this This, I know what, what what I need to do now. How can I train or what is there someone I can speak to to try and see what the next step is instead of just absolutely sitting there and soaking up and enjoying what we, we did accomplish. Um, and people tell you that during when you're playing as well. They say, look, enjoy these moments because they don't last forever. But everyone says that 10 years after they're finished and no one takes notice of someone when they say that when they're living it because... You just, you live in the moment and whatever's happening in your moment, you think it's going to last forever and it doesn't, obviously. And that was the only sort of regret. In saying that, it was, I'd be much more comfortable with that as a regret than yeah looking back like some players would and saying, well, I regret not training harder, or I regret not doing more things. So I did absolutely everything I possibly could to play the best footy I could and body hated me in the end. But that was something I wish if I, I, wish if I could go back and do it all again. I wish I that I would enjoy the moment a little bit more instead yeah. of sort of instead, of instead of sitting there going, okay, well that's great, but you know, here's what I'm not doing. Yeah. I wish I'd sat there and gone, how bloody good is this? Cuz it cuz it was fun and there's some of the some of the best feelings and best memories of my life. Did you
0: find it hard to turn off then, I suppose in that situation? As in terms of just like were you always football focused, football, football yeah, and you much. just didn't relax enough as well?
1: Pretty much yeah, it was at the time, um, one of my best mates, and still is one of my best mates, was a bloke called Lee Spur, who we're in the same sort of boat, and he was training his ass off and and doing all these things and trying to get himself a, a shot to get back in the AFL, and he did get a rookie spot with Frio, and not just got a rookie spot, he went on with it and played, yeah, really, ended up playing over over one hundred and twenty odd games. He, he built himself an nice good oh, career, really good career, and some big finishes in their best and fairest. I think he finished top five in their best and fairest a couple of times. It was in leadership groups and all sorts of things and genuinely built a really, really great career at Fremantle after he'd done some good things at the Dogs, So, and we were sort of both as focused as each other. So yeah. And you're right. It's, it probably gets a, a time where you go, oh,
0: shit, this isn't going to work. So <laughs> it's time to focus on something else. Yeah. I mean, there's so many questions I have from this. I mean, what is the dogs like as a club it's fair to say they're now one of the smaller clubs we've they've had their struggles obviously but through that 2000 period it's just littered with success as you said so how do you what was the what was the culture like how do you look at the dogs now i mean talk to me about your love for the central districts mate. the the culture was uh just elite yeah that's
1: that's how you describe it because you had blokes, you mentioned before, like you had Chris and James Gowns, you had blokes like Daniel Shell, Luke McCabe was there for a couple of years when I was there, uh, Matt Slade, Paul Thomas, it was just ridiculous. Jason McKenzie, all these guys, and I'm missing so many names, <laughs> but all these guys who were sort of older blokes who, it wasn't about the money, because geez, if they were chasing money, then there's no way that they could have <laughs> all been playing for the dogs. So they all, it was a unique Situation where you had so many ridiculously good players, who were all chasing the same thing, and that was to win. And it's funny; I straight away learned that from round one, from round two, in in these years, they're already all these blokes. They're already thinking about the grand final, so <laughs> they would celebrate. You know, they would go out and have a couple of beers, and they would celebrate when it was time to celebrate and mid-season and things like that. But the point I'm trying to make is that winning wasn't a Standard win for those blokes during the season wasn't a big deal. A yeah. loss was a massive deal. Jeez. Because the win wasn't a big deal because they always had their eyes on, on the bigger picture. And that was playing and winning in, in grand finals. So um, is that confidence or arrogance? It's, uh, I think it's a mixture, <laughs> but you absolutely need, if you need arrogance. Yeah. You need arrogance in everything, I think. Um, because people can call it arrogant, but I mean, I would watch these blokes. Walk onto the field and straight away even the way that they carried themselves, so I like, I knew that they knew that they were going to win. Yeah. So people would call that arrogance. Maybe it is arrogance, but
0: you need the, it's a good uh, arrogance. Level sport. You
1: definitely need that because you need to not go onto the football field thinking it's gonna happen, but you need to go on thinking, I'm gonna win here because I'm better and I'll I'll show you that I'm better. And that's what all those boys had and, so they should have mean, there was just a different era where you had all these blokes who if I still think if it was today there was a probably a patch maybe 5 or 10 years ago where they it was kind of uh in vogue to select mature age players where this particular era if you didn't make it by the age of sort of 19 20 you were not getting another shot and the twins came out from the saints uh daniel shell should have played so much more AFL football than he did he had a stint at the crows and the dockers so it was just, it was just a, a fortunate time for so many unbelievable players to be playing at the same time, all with links to Central Districts. Yeah. So it was just a, a really good time, and it was led by the players. It, it wasn't. they didn't need to. I mean, the coaches came through and did, and did a really good job. Uh, Paddy Jonas obviously set the foundation. Clark was in there, and then Roy um, had the brunt of it with the with the premierships. But this was no. From from when I was there and what I saw, this is no disrespect to any coaches or anything, but Jesus, man, some of the players there—they
0: they—they
1: could have coached themselves. They, they didn't need a coach. Like <laughs> they were so driven, it was so ridiculous that the preseason sessions from Paul Thomas and the twins and some of these guys—that way that they used to run until they would almost pass out. It was just, it was ridiculous. And the funny thing was, I came over from the Swans. Swans were notorious for that as well. They would really, really just go so bloody hard in the preseason. And I came from a Swans preseason, even though I didn't get picked up again. Where I was thinking, oh, I'm just gonna absolutely bliss this, <laughs> because without knowing much about the sample, without knowing just how good Centrals was, I was I was turning out going. Oh, I'm just gonna absolutely smoke all these blokes because I've just come off a Swans preseason as well, and I was I was running well in that as well. Um, and it was maybe my second session, and I did. We had four 1Ks and two 500s. First 1K, I was up around the front, but it smoked me. It absolutely cooked me. I didn't know it. I just sort of thought, oh, I just feel a bit rough there. Second one went hard. and I reckon I sort of came maybe second or third, but I was done. <laughs> I was absolutely done. I remember sitting there going, oh, I'm going to be striking. <laughs> third 1K, five minutes was up. was my time for the third 1K. And I'm sort of mid towards the back. And then the fourth one, i'm dead last out of the whole frigging group and then by the 500s and i'm i hadn't adjusted i hadn't drunk enough water so i'm dehydrated and by the the first 500 i reckon I almost fell over Um uh, with about 100 meters to go wow. and there was talk whether they're getting get an ambulance and all these types of things and i remember i went home or back to the our house that night i was so embarrassed and called roy and said i'm so sorry about that and he just said, no, no, no. It's fine. It's fine." <laughs> but it was a big wake-up call that this isn't this stupid attitude that I had. That there was going to be, I was going to turn up from a Swan's pre-season, absolutely blitz, and just absolutely um, nail this. It was almost like I couldn't separate the two. Just and that's a what I'm talking about is just how good these players were, just how fit they were, their skills. It was just it was, it was ridiculous. It was a shock for me because. I I was nowhere near as good as I thought I was going to be.
0: <laughs> was there a big difference, I guess, between training sessions, between the swans and the dogs? Was there a big thing where you're going, "Whoa, that's different? Or
1: Just to, just to how big it was, just because the, the swans in a professional environment as well, you would do, Yeah, I don't know, you know maybe you'd have a weight session either in the morning or in the afternoon. If there was a football session, it was this. Everything was broken up into small little patches and which sort of felt like it was really manageable versus. You know, this is, it's semi-professional, but it's it's not full-time. So blokes would have full-time jobs and then turn up and you train for two and a half hours. And in the pre-season, it wasn't, you know, trotting around for two and a half hours. If, if it was a fitness session first, it was a good 40 minutes of just ridiculous fitness. And then the big test was keep running hard through this. And this is when your skills get tested. So this is why we do this. And it was just, it was harder. It was much harder going to centrals.
0: Wow. Much harder. I would have never thought that I really would. No, it's really interesting to dive into it. We mentioned Roy. What is that relationship like? Because Roy has a bit of a reputation for being a hard coach. One of the um, in, in, intense in some people's eyes. Other people just saw him as driven. What was it like for you? No, oh, mean I, I don't. Man, I don't have a relationship with Roy. Really, now, none at all. Um, which is which is completely fine. I,
1: I when I look back at um, those premierships, it was. It was teammates and and perhaps some of the other coaches that I have my fondest memories with. And it was probably, I've mentioned him a couple of times, but Daniel Shell, who was second year, I reckon, 2008, It's what was that, second or third year, and Shelley was obviously this amazing forward. But for whatever reason that year, uh, Roy said, and maybe even Shelley said, I want to play down back. That's probably what it would have been, actually. Shelley would have made the call and said, I want to play down back that year. And the amount of stuff that he taught me was just unbelievable but it was a different coaching style back then as well i think um you know back in the and we loved it we thrived on it and that is the you know you 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 turn up and you do this the way we do it or you can you can piss off um and it's not about you know you're not there let's put i'll put it this way no no one was turning up there to try and get some expecting roy to say some nice lovely things in your ear Kind of thing. And we, we do some of these video sessions and it would be quite uh, brutal. But I suppose that was the mindset of these other guys as well, that no one would sit there and soak. It was always, we don't worry about what we're doing really well. What can we fix? What needs to be addressed and fix it and go from there. It's completely different now in terms of coaching and and the way that the next generation has come through and what they need in terms of feedback to get the best out of themselves. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a different generation. But that old, that real old school coaching mentality is, is probably not there anymore. Um, it? And it would be, yeah, it's, 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 it was what I heard someone say before old school was 70 or 80% coaching, 20% relationships. And now that's, I mean, it's not completely the other way, but the relationship sector of that pie has just shifted dramatically. Mm-hmm. And you look at, You look at blokes, you look here in this state, you look at the relationships that, um, from the outside looking in that Ken Higley's got with his players and you look what sort of communicator Matthew Nix is. Like You you can tell that there are really, really, really
0: strong and positive relationships that both those coaches have with their players. Was there a moment where you thought, all right, I'm not going to have a relationship with Roy. This is just getting to the point now where we're going to, you know, come to blows if it's getting this bad. Was was there a moment, or was it just from day dot that you knew? No, there's no, there was no, um, there's no bad blood
1: or anything. We, um, it's just a, it, it, it was weird that. It, let me put it this way: you'd, we wouldn't. I mean, i we we're in the same boat with a with a lot of the the younger blokes coming through. It was. You know, we're, we're there to play, and, and he was there to coach. <laughs> so, I mean, I think of some of the other coaches I've had since then. And the big example I used was um, at West Adelaide with Mark Wicken. Yeah. He was just, the love this man you can meet. And he is that bloke who, if you had a problem or if you just wanted to catch up, you you could call him up and say, mate, can we have dinner tonight? You go, absolutely. Versus, and that's that was uh, one thing that I found not strange or difficult, but... Definitely different going into <laughs> that sort of environment. We could do that because I had this sort of mentality that the coach was there to coach and you were, you were there to play. And it wasn't about catching up and being silly and things like that. I didn't know that that was actually a, a, a sort of a, a part of life balance that you could have with a coach, but absolutely you can and you definitely can now. I hate to ask this question. Do you have a favorite
0: premiership? I've got two. Oh, he's got two. <laughs> two.
1: Yeah, there's two. So 2007, uh, because it was the first one. Yeah. So, and I remember there was, there was a moment we were playing North Adelaide and we were in control all day. So, but the whole time we were, I just, I kept on remembering, okay, we're up by 20 points. All right, that's good. we have got to keep it going. We're up by 30 points. All right, that's good. We're up by 40 points. I think we are up to about 60 points at one stage. And the whole time we like, no, 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 you can't get complacent, can't get complacent because they're capable of coming comeback. Really good offensive side, all these types of things. And then it was like midway through the last quarter, and we're up by like 60 i reckon yeah. and i remember i was there with alan obst and he was he was in the same boat he hadn't played in one and i remember we were just talking on the field, going we're gonna we win <laughs> we can win this we almost started, started hugging and carrying on or already and i that's 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 probably the big moment that that stood out for me where we would spoken about it before about you know trying to realise a moment and soak it in. Where we genuinely did that, we sat there and we looked around because it was a big bloody crowd didn't that. Playing crowds like that ever except for grand finals. Yeah, we just I remember saying, look, "Look at this! How good is this? Like, just soak this up." Um, so that was really my nice moment, and just uh, on that as well, I was playing. <laughs> I was playing on Shannon Motlop. Oh yeah, for uh, North Adelaide, and I used to always have to play on Shannon Motlop. And the worst thing about Shannon Motlop is. Great player, unbelievable. And the bad thing about him is you can be on top of him for three quarters. <laughs> he might have touched it for two and a half quarters. And then by three quarter time, he has his purple patch, he's kicked four on you. It's just one of those players. So you never get a chance to relax. Absolutely, really, really good player. And I remember we, we went down and there was a bit of a melee on. <laughs> and I'm sprinting down. It's late in the game. And I'm only going down there so I didn't look like I wasn't going down there. I had no interest in fighting. And I remember we sort of both went down. We met each other at the front. We sort of we clashed, and we've hit the we've hit the deck. And I'm straight away big cramp in my calf. <laughs> I've gone. We're sort of looking at each other, going, "What are we doing here?" And I've gone, "Shit, man, I've got a big cramp." And he was like, "Oh, it's all right. Just stretch it out. We'll just pretend that we're fighting." fighting. <laughs> so we did that for a good. Thirty seconds, and then everything. Everyone went back to their spots, and just sort of said, oh, good stuff, mate. Thanks for that." But uh, so, 2007 and 2010—the last one because that was much closer. It came down to a, a kick against Nord. The strange thing about Nord is, really, we really didn't like Nord. Like we just didn't like Nord. But at the same time, I had some really good mates in Nord. So I had this whole thing against Nord through the the whole thing. But then two of my two or three of my really good mates were actually playing there. So it was Dave. Trotter, Sam Rowe and Dean Turlich, And we would have dinner with these guys, me and my housemates, um, every week. So they were playing. And so at the same time, we were thinking, oh, you know, if, if oh, I was thinking if, if we lost this, I'd love to see these blokes win a flag. But as it turned out, they <laughs> were a red-hot side. It came down to a kick in the end. So it was one of those ones where it could have gone either way. There was a moment sort of late in the game where I think it was Tim Retherald um Kicked it, and I think it would have either been a draw or he would have gone. They would have gone one point in front. It's going in. It's absolutely going in. And just the last second, the wind catches it, and bang, it crashes into the post. So we've held on to the lead. They kick the ball out. Ten seconds later, the sign goes. So we. I mean, it's a bit of a tough moment for maybe those boys to remember, a yeah. bit of a what-if moment, but it was just- yeah, And I'm sure you don't remind them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the celebrations were just, yeah, were really, really fun.
0: What is that like, that, that after party?
1: <laughs> oh, it's a bit of a, so that was probably the best thing about playing in a few of them is that you, you know what's coming. <laughs> and more importantly, you know you know what to do in terms of just keeping a little on things. So the the Sunday night, because on Sunday grand final, Sunday night's awesome, and to go there the supporters are going crazy and there's thousands of thousands of supporters as well it's all a bit of a blur and because you've played as well you just you're already on another planet because you've lost so many fluids and then instead so of replace no fluids with uh water you're replacing <laughs> them with all sorts of alcoholic beverages so you're in a ridiculous state monday is fun but then you learn pretty quickly that monday is actually recovery day so everyone says oh, i'm mad monday that's crazy go have a big one, but yeah, you, you actually don't. You you sit there, you drink waters, and you have a beer, and you pretend that you're drinking a heap of beers, but you're not. You actually, I reckon it's 2010 where I reckon I had one beer all day. Far out. And Tuesday, at the brewery, yeah, with the chimney unveiling, is just <laughs> dangerous. One of the <laughs> great days on the calendars. So we we would look forward to that, and that is where you you just want to turn up fresh. Colors are, are unveiled, and all those types of things. and I opened up the West End little bar there in the corner. I remember when I first started, it was, it was beer, wine, uh, and they'd have a range of all this bloody lolly water. I mean, it's breezes and cruises and all these types of things. So we'd just absolutely go nuts. And by the end of it, by the last premiership, it was just beer. <laughs> it was just beer that was available. They would see us come and go, I know you're going you to drink a dry for all the expensive little uh, alcoholic lolly water. So you're only getting West End. But um no, that was good it was good fun, mate. That's um yeah, that's some of my funnest memories.
0: Did you ever get close to getting back in the AFL system during that time? Obviously there's success there as well. Was there ever a little nibble? No, oh, two
1: thousand ten there was I'd spoken to a couple of clubs and same thing. It was, you know, uh, we're we're thinking about this and but it's mate, it's all it's all nothing. It was all just a, a little bit of a little bit of talk and Nothing to get uh to get too hopeful on. But at the same time, um my good mate, which you mentioned, Lee Spur, was going through the same thing. It was just such an unbelievable, you just can't you couldn't bank on anything. So he had he had four or five clubs saying, We're definitely gonna take you. If you're available at this pick, this is the draft, we'll take you here. The next club saying, if you're taking that. and he's he's got he's got a manager now at this stage as well. Yeah. Anyway, that particular draft and he'd been through that for about three years, that particular draft, that just no one no one picked him up. And his manager called him and said, oh, I don't know what's going on here, but you know, I just I don't know what to tell you. Your name hasn't come out. So <laughs> anyway, so then the rookie draft came around and I don't know that he was overly keen to go to Perth, but the Dockers said, Oh, w- would you be keen? And he just got to the point where he said, Yeah, I'll I'll take absolutely anything. So the dockers took him and turns out it was best thing that ever happened to
0: him yeah what was that moment like when you're told you're delisted because yeah. this is we've heard stories more these days people are more open about it we've even seen cameras now in there yeah. what was your experience like mate because i can't imagine anything more devastating oh mate i i, got, I excuse excuse language I, I you can swear mate i, I can cried. imagine if it's that hard
1: i cried i couldn't it was i mean i've cried <laughs> I've cried since, but I, I don't think I've cried like that um, since. So it was ju- uh, just because. So when I was I was delisted at the end of two thousand five, and it was a it was a look. We're going to clear out the rookie list, but we want you to come back uh, and train and try to get you put to to get you put back on that rookie list. So it's like you're out, but you've you've still got a foot in the door. And I look back now and go, well. I wasn't good enough. The only thing, the only thing that was keeping me there was, you know, just probably the the athleticism I had and, and the way that I trained. I know that they uh, loved my mentality, but when it came down to it, the rookie draft was on that day, and I'd been training for a couple of months and training really well. And I didn't watch it, and it was it was Peter Jonas who said, "Oh mate, let's have a chat," and I just, oh fuck, man, I knew straight away. Just, the, just the look on his face. I was sitting up there, and I was with a bunch of the other players as well, and, and almost and, you know we just sort of. Oh, shit. Anyway, so he, he told me, and I sort of kept it together. And there was a bloke that I was living with at the time, who was also a coach called Brett Allison, and he came down. We went down in the change rooms, and he sort of shut the door. And he, he just said, "I'm, I'm so sorry." He, he gave me a hug. And, Fuck God, yeah. I started. I, I haven't cried. Like I said, I haven't cried like that since. And it was just a. It wasn't an angry. It wasn't a am pissed off" cry. It was just a, just a. I don't know. It yeah, just, it was a. It was a strange feeling. Um, but yeah, it, it's pretty emotional
0: to say imagine. the least. I can imagine, man. So, what's the next month like? I guess because you've just been told that potentially your dream career is over. I can't imagine going through that next month, mate. What did you yeah, do?
1: I um, I, I
0: drank a fair bit of piss. <laughs> <laughs> I lie to you.
1: Um, I was in Sydney, and yeah, it's weird. I, the, the worst thing I did was—I mean, drinking too much was bad, but the worst thing I did was I said, "Oh, look, what I'm going to do is now." I don't know why I did this, but I'm going to eat what I want for a week—a good week—and I'm going to make it a, a point of eating bad food. So i will eat Max for breakfast, I'd eat um, KFC for lunch, and do all these things. And what? that five days in, and I'm just the guts is just. <laughs> crook as i it was just an absolute worst thing we could have possibly done and just drinking way too much alcohol i don't know why i did that it was almost like before i could say right now start training again and obviously training again i didn't even know that there would be um a correlation between you know eating bad and you know the way that it could make you feel and all those types of things which just for some stupid reason i learned the hard way but it was rough it was the first couple of weeks but mate, there's it didn't take long, as well, for um, you know my old man to <laughs> just remind me that you know people are going through some heavy shit. Than that, I mean, <laughs> come on, just put things into perspective. And I've, you know, I've lost, I've lost mates to suicide, and wow. getting, um, you know, getting cut from an AFL list is it's not that bad. Jeez, when you put it in perspective, you need a reminder from maybe some people, not in a bad way, that um. There's worse. There's worse things going on.
0: Is it made easier that you won a premiership with the dogs? At least you've got one. Do you think you would not feel you know fulfilled if you never won a premiership? Are you one of those players that would have that mindset? What do you think? Uh, in terms of looking back now, yeah, looking back now. Oh, right?
1: yeah, oh, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd like to. You'd like to think that you've got some sort of oh, I don't know, um, not legacy, but some sort of place where you can say that. You know, that was my that was my club. Yeah. So you know, I look back and go, we've got to play in some premierships and got a hundred games at, at Centrals, that's that's nice. Um so I always love always loved the dogs. Um but mate, looking back at it, it's just um no regrets or anything because everything um things just didn't turn out the way that I wanted them to. But in saying that, it forced me to come down here. I stayed here. I made some great relationships at Centrals and had a great time out of out of elizabeth and met my wife obviously in south australia and have kids so
0: i look back at it now and go well if i didn't make the move down here i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing now and that would be that would be disaster this is i guess where we should pick up from i mean the radio and tv career mate it's the next chapter of your life so did you always want to be in the media how did these opportunities come about because for people who may not know a lot about andrew you're a channel 7 news presenter and you're the host of the sensa breakfast show with kane corns it's a, it's a nice media career that you've built yourself up mate
1: oh thanks mate no it was it was all pretty not random it took a a long time to sort of get any sort of sort of sold stuff as you know the media is a pretty tricky fickle business at, at times um so mate, long story short i was I reckon I could put it all down to, I mean, Mark Soderstrom was boundary writing for ABC. He was doing the sample games and everyone, uh, even back then, that was years and years ago. Everyone knew Soder was. Soda's the man, still is. And I reached out to him for a coffee. I got his number sometime. I don't know. This would I have been mean, years and years ago. I called him and didn't expect him to answer. I was going to leave a voicemail. I didn't expect him to call me back. Anyway, he answered. I said, I'll oh, get up, mate. Sorry to call you out of the blue, but I just wanted to, I'm just, trying to i love the stuff you're doing i want to sort of you know go down this path there's any sort of tips you can give me and instead of brushing me off he said oh what are you doing right now do you want to go get a coffee i was like okay so we went and got a coffee and i reckon we caught up for a good couple of hours and he said oh we can you should do this 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 i recommend you do this this and just sort of we chipped away from there but i put that down as the absolute point i mean if 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 so did an answer or didn't get back to me or oh, I couldn't sort of speak to someone to get some of advice i probably wouldn't gone down this but so that was probably the um the point from there and then it took a when he sort of got into to channel seven it took maybe a good year and a half maybe two years of of pretty much working without being paid before the shift came up where we started getting paid and the radio was absolutely the same at Nova um, we we're doing some. I was doing some Casanova work there, and then I was there, sort of shadowing some of the presenters there, a bloke called Javen Ryan, for months. Good, good year before a shift an on air shift sort of came up, and that's that's sort of sometimes how it works, uh, which can be tough because it's not good for the bank account.
0: But, <laughs> but, it's um, a, it's a sad fact of the media, isn't mm-hmm. it? And it's just amazing that you had the patience to get through that i suppose in that situation
1: yeah it's it is tough and i I feel for people who are trying to do it now who genuinely need to support a family or or things like that because that's when it's tough so i was still young enough that i was single and doing other things to make enough money to you know cover rent and stuff like that but yeah it it can be it can be really tough for some people in, in some areas but it's that's just the business now
0: it's it's quite often who can basically keep at it the longest. Do you feel more pressure when you're on t v compared to radio? Do you feel more pressure when you're on the radio compared to t v Is there a difference about it that's oh, they're
1: so different, yeah they're so unbelievably different so live crosses uh on t v you know what you're gonna say, and it, you've been <laughs> you've been there for a full day building up for this minute 10 that you're going to be on versus when we turn up here, we're, we're on for two and a half hours and we turn up here prep. And I think we speak for something like 50, 52 minutes of the hour, uh, when we're on radio. So, you know, you can sort of ease into it. You can you have plenty of time because it's AM talkback radio. You've got plenty of time to sort of really express yourself versus FM where, you know, you wouldn't dare go past about a three and a half minute talk, break. Yeah. Um, so they're so so different. You can you can relax. That's the best way of it. You can absolutely relax on radio, and we're talking about sports. So it's you know ninety nine percent of the time it's it's really fun because you're talking about footy. And we love footy. We talk a lot, talk a lot about NBA etc. Versus yeah the TV it's you've got you've got all this information you need to get out. You rehearse it. You've got a minute ten to do it. Don't stuff it up because this, this is what you've been working on all day. So yeah, it's um there's, no pressure. There's probably a little bit more pressure on TV. In saying that, um, you probably could get yourself in a bit more trouble on radio because you got two and a half hours to
0: just to, to accidentally looks, yeah. say something outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite story that you've ever done on channel seven? One that you'll always remember, like, yeah, I did that story, holy
1: moly. Well, probably not so much that, but more so the first one. So the first proper one I did was uh, on Jason Paul Pleasure. So when he was back at West Adelaide. Yep. And it was it was um a story with a little piece to camera and all these types of things. And it was through a bloke who who I got a foot in there with and ta- taught me everything, which is Paul Childs, who was just an absolute gun at what he does. Anyway, so Childs, he sort of directed me through how are we gonna do this? And we had the interview, we selected all the shots and we put it all up, and that was my first real story. And I remember I remember going home and watching it on TV and just Bloody fanboying over myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I was getting around nah, porps, of course. But just yeah, that's that's a, a memory that, that that sticks out. I remember as well going because <laughs> I, I was on Twitter. <laughs> I remember looking at because your your Twitter comes up, your Twitter just comes up. I remember going, oh, jeez, watch watch my Twitter just light up with bloody followers and nothing happened.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sad moment when you crash back to reality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Do you have a favourite SEN caller that you've had or is there a memorable moment? Because we get a lot of callers on SEN, of course, all their stories, a lot of hard-hitting opinions, some interesting opinions, some funny opinions and everything in between.
1: Yeah, uh, just it's probably more so, it's actually watching Kane handle some of the stuff that he handles. Yeah, he so, does cop a bit. Yeah, he does He does cop a bit. He cops um, plenty of, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff that comes his way as well so but more so the way that hand uh, the way that kane is now able to handle criticism yeah it's it's the way he does it now it's just it's so measured and it's an ability to be able to just ignore it like it's it's so much easier said than done like people say i just ignore it just ignore the trolls and ignore that stuff there's a bloke calling who's about to call kane a dickhead and does on air and (laughs) And you just, you wouldn't know unless you put yourself in that situation. And I, I and before radio, I would always say, oh, I just ignore them, just tell them to go away. Until I started doing radio and getting some some hate and stuff on Twitter. And I'd be sitting there at night thinking about it. And one of them was just a fat moron. He was, oh, I don't know what he was criticizing me about, but I was sitting there going, why am, I, why am I thinking about this? And then on top of that, Kane gets this like daily. yeah, And he's learned to be able to literally just, Filter off the stuff he doesn't need and concentrate on stuff. It's actually really, really impressive to sit there and watch the way he does it. It's amazing.
0: And I guess we should really touch on Kane because there is a clear relationship there with the breakfast show, obviously. Yep. What's it like being with Kane every day? Is he like he is on air? Is he permanently grumpy, like people like to think? Or, I mean, what's he like? I mean, I've, I feel kind of weird asking this to. To you, because it is an interview about you, but obviously he is a major part of your life.
1: Yes, no, absolutely. And I, I tell you, I get asked this so much. <laughs> what's what's kane corns actually like? <laughs> I got the same answer for everyone. Uh and in short, he kane's a much lighter person. Uh and not physically because you know that he's light as a feather. <laughs> but he's a much light <laughs> lighter person than people think. And that is because if you see a headline, if you're scrolling through Twitter and you see a headline with Kane corns, it's something that he said that's perceived as negative. But if you listen to so if if you listen to what Kane would have to say uh about so let's say he's talking about the Crows. If he says, and I'm just using random examples here, I won't even use Taylor Walker because that. they've got a little <laughs> bit of history together. If he if he says, I really love what Ben Keyes is doing, um, I really love how Tom Dude plays. Uh, but for example, I don't like what Rory Laird did there. Yeah, we will go two positives, one negative.
0: Everyone's a headline,
1: negative. or everyone's thinking about something. They're they're thinking about the negative, negative. Yeah. and that's a lot of what Kane does. And I'd sit there and go, well, oh, listen to him on uh, SEN, uh, whether it's with us, at the Breakfast Show, or on the Captain's Run. But overwhelming majority of what he talks about is really, really positive. The only things that things that people pick up on are the negative stuff. But in terms of away from the microphone as well, he's a—he's just a normal bloke. He's not. People think that it, they expect me to say that he's just this angry little man. He's <laughs> not. He's quite happy most of the time, especially unless he's had his coffee. He's good.
0: I just, I probably, I've got—I've got that image in my yeah,
1: head now. <laughs> people get, uh, but I think people get uh, slightly disappointed when I say, "No, nah, he's a—he's a great guy. I like him. I get along with him really well." They want me to say, "Oh yeah, no, nah, he's always oh, a worse." <laughs> He's really quite a lot he's really quite he's a light-hearted human he's really easy to get along with so <laughs> that's uh that's what i tell everybody
0: do you have a, a dream of the media career do you what's what would be your future ambitions are you happy with what you're doing now oh mate i'm i'm happy with what i'm doing now i've got no complaints whatsoever because
1: um to to sort of get to this point i've i've worked and i've, I've done all sorts of laboring i've done i've been a builder's labor and landscaping i've done um, worked at an ice factory, all these types of things. So I, I, I never need a reminder of how good it is to to work in a full time capacity in the media. And I've, I've at no stage ever have I sat there and said, "Oh, this is this is too much. We've got too much going on today." Because doing that stuff and talking about sport and putting sports stuff together versus eight and a half hours of uh, lugging around twenty kilo bags of ice, I know. Um, which one I'd rather be. And sometimes, like everything, like when I was telling you about uh, getting delisted and my old man saying, hey, how about you put this into perspective? There's always a perspective moment when you've got uh, complaints
0: about something, particularly if it's if it's work-related. I ask this question all the time on leavers, basically, because it's about leaving. I mean, we've got to be honest. And I just wanted to ask you a question. When... People leave things. I think there can be a negative stigma attached when you leave something like you're seen as a quitter, for example, and that forces people sometimes to stay and like stick it out. And I just wanted to ask you, do you think people decide not to leave things because it becomes like a pride thing? Like there's some ego and they're like, nah, I'm not going to do this. That negative stigma around it. I'm strong enough to get through this when maybe they should have left something.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's... That's a it's a very good point, yeah, definitely. But people would stay in things longer than they should because of a because it is it it is pride. So it's it's just such a different generation now to what it was. And if from my um, upbringing, it would be that you know whatever it is, you need to stick it out. So and that was that's a really noble approach to things. Um, whether it is you know whether it's it could be anything, It could be a relationship, it could be a commitment to. Could be a commitment to a football club, um, versus now. Like, I mean, if you think it, if it is detrimentally doing things to your health, etc., then you need to, you need to move on. You need to leave things. If it is for the, for the better of yourself, I just look at, for example, way back in the day, if if it was a football club and I'd say I'd signed a three year deal, and I was a year in and I wanted to go, I could absolutely see my old man saying no you stick that through because you've signed this contract. But I mean, now if there's deeper things involved in terms of you know where you might
0: be at mentally, uh, et cetera, then you probably do need to make some changes. And the last serious one, before we get into the fun ones, what advice would you have for someone who's thinking about leaving something? You need to sit down and really nut out
1: um, pros and cons. Yeah. So what's what's what what's a bad thing that could happen from leaving? But what are the good things Yeah. and you just need to outweigh things that's great you? and you also as well if it is it could be sports like be work related i've seen people crack it in the moment and leave jobs where i could guarantee you two or three weeks later they would have just sit there and say oh, that was a bad decision so you just need to sit back that's what I try and do now with most things i say particularly if it's something sort of negative you need to see about and say are you going to regret this even in 10 minutes you going to regret saying this purely for the heat of the moment stuff so that's what you need to ask yourself if you're going to leave something um what would be the ramifications and why why would this make your life better
0: great system that you've got there you've clearly thought it through and what an interview this has been we've had ups we've had downs we've gone every so everywhere mate. we've probably gone a little bit over I'm, <laughs> I'm chewing the ear off your brain my apologies no you good. I, I could talk but, footy with you all day mate I really could I, I love it you've ain't. got nowhere to be you know? <laughs> all good we'll quickly do some fun ones I guess the straight up for a quick fast one will you ever be brave enough to milk a cow on live TV again <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, <laughs> mate, I will be. I definitely will be. I'll tell you what, I'll be coming in from the side as well. I'll be coming in from the back. <laughs> just on that as well, footage is just, I mean, its it makes me sick and I was one who got to chat on. Um, I'll tell you what, so I got told that, I oh, know you're coming from, and I've said that, I grew up on a farm. I mean, we didn't have dairy uh, cattle or anything like that, but I, I grew up on a farm. So I, I'm sitting there and I said to the person, Hang on, are you sure I'm coming in from the back because I wasn't scared of being a I was scared of being kicked. Yeah. So and she said, no, 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 it's completely fine. It's completely fine. I was like, all right. And I was sitting there going, this, this, this isn't right. I've never seen anyone milk a cow from behind. And then bang, crap on the back of the neck. So I was scared of getting kicked. So mate, I. Tell you what, that's my defense. Even I said, oh, I think we should come in from the side. No, no, that's fine. It's completely fine.
0: With some so. simple Google searches, you can still find that footage <laughs> if you are interested in watching. Oh, God. Do you have a favorite teammate that you played with through your career? Um, Favorite teammates.
1: Oh, there'd be a few of them for different reasons, but probably, I've met, I reckon I've mentioned about six times in this chat, Lee Spur was, was probably yeah my best mate going through, and we'd spent a lot of time off the field as well. So it was really fun to... Have some really nice moments. Different teammates for different reasons. I've mentioned him as well, Daniel Shell, because I learnt so much from him and progressed my football purely through him. And you just got there. So many, that's a beautiful. Footy Club. There's so many different blokes, and that perhaps you wouldn't be friends if you didn't have this uh, common link. But in, in, in different worlds, but you all come together and you all come, you all really get along. And especially if there's a premiership there, you you almost have this bond for life. So, but if I had to put it down in one, probably. Through footy would at least for you.
0: Over at Journo at Channel Seven?
1: Over Journo at Jerno, Channel Seven. Wow. That's a that's a solid question. <laughs> um, we got a good team in there, particularly. I'll just stay in the sports area. But um Tom Wilson is effectively my new boss. And he's a very, very good boss, very, very good man. Um, and then there's a bloke with who I work with a couple of couple of shifts a week with Robbie Cornthwaite. Yeah. Robbie Cornthwaite. Former Soccero, played about three or four games for the Socceroos. Just kidding. I think it's around about eight.
0: Played a fair few for Adelaide United as well. We must
1: add it. that gets him going. If I say if I uh, short sell him for the Socceroo games, he played over a hundred A League games. Yeah. Adelaide United, uh, Western Sydney. Yeah, absolutely. Very very good man. So we're a bit lucky. There's a, a bunch of guys in there who are really really good. So the team at the Channel Seven at the moment as well is just um it's a really really fun place to be, which is just great because. Sometimes in some media companies it's not. And my particular situation, it is fun. We've got a good team at S C N S A and Channel Seven is awesome as well. I think you uh worked out pretty early my uh love and affection for Mark Soderstrom. Um, probably equal with Bruce Abernethy as well. Favourite place to go in Adelaide? Probably Sterling. My uh my wife's mum lives in Sterling. So we go up there and our, we've got a three and a half year old son now and our little girl is one year old, so they they, um, they're um they old enough now that they can start preaching. Well, Lottie isn't, no, the little one, but our three and a half old, he loves it up there and it's it's really nice. Oh,
0: that's nice. Worst spray you ever copped while you were in your playing career?
1: Jeez, worst spray. We'll go for another 40 minutes. If we <laughs> I, yeah, I'll make, I'll, I'll keep this quick for you. I remember this bloke called Nathan Cassidy, um, who I still think works in real estate, does a bloody good job. He was the runner at the time at Central's and Roy <laughs> He would come out and deliver these messages. And it would be along the lines of, Roy wants you to stop doing that. And i will go, yep, no worries. And I was always real calm about it. Yep, no worries. Tell him no worries. And um, all good, five minutes later. I'd do the same thing. And, <laughs> and Cass would come out and say, Roy wants to know why you did that thing again. <laughs> and i will go, yeah, yeah, tell him, tell him I didn't mean to. Tell him sorry, all good. And then it, and then this would happen sort of every game. And then we'd always sit there, and particularly if it was a win, we'd sit there and we'd have a beer after the game. We would sit down and I'd go, Cass, what did Roy actually say? And he'd go, Do you want do you want to know what he actually said? I go, Yeah, yeah, just tell me to He'd go. He said, Tell that, be absolute stupid beer that if he does that again, he's never gonna play. In this side ever again. I go, really? Wow. He said that. That's pretty heavy. You go, Gee, you filtered that one down pretty well, didn't you? So I would never um I'd never get that a proper spray. Uh direct. But uh, Roy was very good at giving some sprays. To a team as well. Like Roy was very good at letting everyone know when they weren't quite uh, up for it. I actually got a um a really good spray one time from at a season at Port Adelaide, uh, from Ken McGregor. Yeah. Yeah, which was which was unusual because Ken McGregor is the nicest bloke on the planet. But it would have been the same thing. I was doing whatever I was doing consistently and continually. And I think it was three-quarter time, or whatever. And, and Kenny had enough. And he gave me this all my experience. It shocked me. It shocked everyone else. And there was no hard feelings because he was bang on. He was completely correct. I think I was playing this particular bloke in the wrong spot. And I kept on doing it. And he kept on just telling me out So Kenny had enough. And we just sort of went, oh, jeez. I didn't want to be the example, but. Kenny can actually give an, an, an mighty spray. So there's been some good ones, mate. There's been some absolute good ones, far too many to uh, to even recall because they happen that often.
0: <laughs> Would you rather be stuck in a room for three days with Roy Lead or cane Corns?
1: Ooh. Jeez. Um, Probably cane because if it came down to it, I know, I reckon not, it came down to a starvation sort of situation. I reckon Roy could bloody beat me up and... <laughs> And eat me if you if you really needed to versus oh, it's, oh, I reckon I'd still be able to pin Kane
0: down. <laughs> oh, I made it from a survival point of view, <laughs> mate. What an interview! Seriously, one of my uh, just you know, absolute fun ones. I'll <laughs> remember this one for a long time. There's been great memories. There's been sad memories. I had a mix of everything. You're such a lovely bloke. Thank you for letting us down in your in this beautiful studio. As well, thank you to SCNSA again. And mate, if there's anything I get from this story is that. I think you realized a lot of the mistakes that you made, as you said earlier, yeah. and you worked on it, you're driven. And I think it's just turned out to be just a lovely person. And you've made your life here in Adelaide. We're so glad that you're here and you love it here. Obviously, coming down from Sydney, you know, it's a massive change, as you were saying. And it's, It's been great seeing what you've made yourself in a media career. And I'm sure it's going to blossom even further, mate. You probably don't even know it yet. So again, thank you so much for your time. It's been great down there. And I hope your words do help people because there's a lot of people that do leave their homes, leave their states, and I'm sure they'll get some great advice from this.
1: Oh, mate, thanks. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, You're doing some bloody good work. And absolutely, your words, this concept, it's really, really good. And just to be able to talk things out and, um just the concept of you know being able to make a change uh for the better is really powerful stuff
0: so well done to you thanks mate i really appreciate it. i could have took more football for ages there but we do have to get going so thank you very much and tune in next time to the leavers podcast thank you to sensa for the, letting us use their studio first i really want to thank them um it was great to be in the studios but i will be a little bit honest um there was a cable loose, so if you're wondering why the audio was a bit different and a bit um, distorted at points, there was a cable loose and we didn't realise it midway through recording, and in fact we got all the way home and only just realised it then, so we did the best we could, so I really do thank you for listening all the way through this episode, I really do appreciate it. And now let's thank Andrew Hayes, I mean what a story that was, you know, coming to Adelaide from Sydney must be An interesting culture shock. It's a different kind of culture shock. It's a calming culture shock, I think, is what I got from that. And I love how Andrew chased this AFL dream. He wanted to revive it, really. And while he didn't get back to the AFL, he got a lot of rewards by still coming here. Of course, he got the Sandfall premierships. And, of course, on top of that, he's now working in the media. I mean, there's not much more that you can really ask. And I love that, how he was able to see that as a positive. He now embraces this place where he lives, and he calls himself as South Australia now, even though he's a New South Welshman. So I cannot thank Andrew enough for opening up and being honest how hard the listing is. All these little things, and he's so appreciative. of us, So we really appreciate his time. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of The Leavers Podcast, and we'll see you next time. This was a Smashed Gnome
1: production.